Yeah. <laughs> um, that is one of my favorite things that we do. It's the second time we've done that, and um, man, I'm so excited that we got to be a part of it. Um, my name's Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new with us, welcome. I love the cheer. Thank you for that. That scream is just exactly what I needed. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you're with us. You know, as we talk about it, being in the community for the community, we really do mean that. And in fact, I was talking with, with a couple of folks as I was at the serve day. I kept getting mocked, by the way, at serve day because people were like, why aren't you sweaty? Why are you just walking around? Why aren't you sweaty? And it was like every time I would start something, people would be like, hey, can I tell you about what's going on? I talked to a teacher from the school who pulled me aside and said, that's my classroom right there. And I can't tell you how much this means. I've been a teacher for 20 years. I can't tell you what this means to my school. I talked to one guy who said, when you say we're like in the community for the community, like, this kind of proves it, right? I'm like, yeah, exactly. This does prove this is really what we're about. Talked to one guy who's um, there with his whole family, and he just said, he goes, he, go, he literally could not put into words. He just goes, I, I, this, this kind of, he goes, I missed last year. And he goes, this kind of impact, I don't even know how to put it towards. It's so fun to be a part of a church that's this serious about being in the community. And um, I, I, I was so great. My, my youngest son was like, Dad, I don't care what we do. I just want to use a shovel. So it's like, okay. And so he grabbed the biggest shovel. There's actually a picture of me using a shovel that's like about that long where I'm like trying to, because he wanted the giant shovel. I'm like, all right, fine. We're going we're gonna to dig around in the, in the dirt. And, you know, it was great. But I'm very, very, I just, I, I, man, I, it just makes me smile. I mean, literally, it's like this is the coolest thing. There's so many great gifted volunteers in our church that made that happen. My hair, and his team, my hair, you know, was in Africa days before with me. And I kept mocking him going, you know what I do is I don't plan things right after I get back from Africa. It's weird that you did that. You know, it's the only day we had, you know, I just kept giving him a hard time. And he did such a great job. There's so many people who you'll never really even get to meet. Maybe you'll never even know, but who made this happen, who stayed, who started weeks earlier and stayed hours later after that event to make it happen. And so very, very cool. I'm very excited about what, that's, what that means for our church. One thing Mike did mention as you're doing, talking about announcements is the Sweet Life Summer Fun Nights on the back of your, of your little insert card. This used to be known, it's the artist formerly known as VBS, if you've heard of VBS before, you've been in church before. But basically the idea of something called the Vacation Bible School, I realize is kind of a terrifying idea for little kids. Come to Vacation Bible School. It doesn't sound as fun as Summer Fun Nights, so that's why it's called that. <laughs> All right, also, um, summer, it's a reason why it used to be during the day, and we've had people ask us, why is it at night? And let me tell you, in honor of Dad Fest, and you know, this will make more sense throughout the message, because you're going to think, this doesn't make any sense for me, but it will make sense at the very end of this message, I guarantee. We want to be able to have fathers be involved, and now, not in every case are dads the ones who are at work, but in many cases, it's dads who are at work in in a lot of the families, and we want to give you a chance to be a part of it, so it's in the evenings. So you can look at the time there. We'd love to have you be a part of it. Maybe maybe you have to cut out of work a little bit early. And then you can come be a part of what is, you know, one of the coolest, most beautiful expressions of our church and love for kids. We believe that kids aren't simply to be sort of babysat during church. We believe in forming kid-sized followers of Jesus. And the summer fun nights, what used to be called VBS, is one of the best ways to see that happen. So dads, we'd love for you to be a part of it. It's not just simply, that's part of the reason why we made the switch to a, an evening thing. Other reasons have to do with working moms who can't get their kids there, as well as people who are in summer school and things like that. So that's why we're doing it in the evening. Love to have you be a part of it. If you want more information about that, it's a one week long summer day camp in the evening. Cool? All right? You guys got it. Now, um, there is some stuff coming up. I got I to get through a couple of things to do a little bit of family business. Um, Wall stuff, I want to let you know what's going on with that. I'll, give, I'll have more information for you next week. But just to let you know, things are moving forward. That, we should start construction as early as tomorrow. They're doing some preliminary stuff tomorrow, which means these seats will ultimately be, so those of you guys who are used to hugging the wall and kind of enjoy that, 
You're going to have to merge with all these other people out here and meet them and say hi to them because pretty soon these seats are going to be gone. All right, so that's going to be happening very soon. And lastly is this. This is really important. As, as much as we're excited about Father's Day, I want to, I want to tell you that, that sometimes in church, the events that happen in the world choose us. We don't get to choose when they happen and when we acknowledge them. And, um, you know, we can't acknowledge everything that happens in the world, but it is pretty important. As we think about, and um, I was just even, you know, watching the news this morning. I mean, you cannot get away from the tragedy in um, South Carolina. And I, I, what I want to do is I want to be careful because there are so many different kinds of issues that come up in the world, which is a broken place, that we can't address every single one of them. But I do want to say, um, I, I want to point to this and say that it at least points us to a broken world that's in need of Jesus. And it's a, a broken world that is in need of restoration and hope and healing. And I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the folks talk about and some of the, the the, um, the tapes today, as people are talking about uh, the, the court tapes of people saying things to this, you know, this uh, the shooter, and they're, they're talking about forgiveness, and they're talking about how it hurts and how they want to forgive, and I started to cry, and I was thinking, just as Mahir was saying, that the community needs the church, and the church um, needs the community, and they're both together. And in every part of the world. And so I want to do something where there's um, what's called a liturgy. This is like an ordered part of service that if you grew up in a more um, kind of what we call a high church, a church that has a, what's an ordered part of the service, and there's like call and response stuff that people will do. Uh, um, usually a, a pastor or a priest will lead and then people will respond. And I just want to show you just the, just the pastor part um, on just on my screen right here. I want to show you um, just kind of how, because I, I edited it. I can tell you guys put it on the screen here. Don't put it up there. I'll just use my screen. Um, but I want to show you... Um, just an excerpt of this, because there's like about a thousand churches who are doing the same liturgy across the country today. And so I want to show you just kind of a prayer that you can participate in and you can be a part of. And then, I'll cl- I'll, then, I'll, then we'll pray for um, Charleston, we'll pray for the church, we'll pray for the world. And that is good timing for that air conditioning to go off. Okay. So you're going to see the word leader on there. This is just from the part of that. So I'm just going to read this, and then we're going to talk about it. We pray to you today, O Lord, our hearts breaking, our eyes weeping, souls stirring, we pray for our enemies, we pray for those who persecute us, we pray to the God of, of all comfort to comfort our brothers and sisters in their mourning. We pray that you would bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, and we pray that you would give them the oil of joy instead of mourning. We pray that you would give them a garment of praise in place of a spirit of despair. We pray that we, uh, we will continue to stand and cry and weep with our brothers and sisters, and we will continue to make a place of peace even for the enemies at our table, and we will continue to open our doors and our hearts to those who enter them. Let's pray. Jesus, we look at a world that is broken and in need. We think about the need in our own, in our own midst. We think about the need worldwide. We think about the church persecuted in all parts of the world. And when it hits home and it becomes personal and the stories become a little bit more real, Father, we just acknowledge a need for you. And so, Father, as we join a a thousand churches or so today who are praying similar prayers on Father's Day, we say we need you and we're grateful for you. So, Jesus, we pray in your power and your comfort. We pray in your spirit that you might move mightily today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, Wow. Okay. Like I said, the events that happen in the world... We don't get to choose when they happen. They just happen. Um, but we're in a series called Listen. The series has been very cool. As I've been talking to some of you guys, and I've been getting some feedback from some folks. There's been some very, very cool things that have happened over the past couple of weeks as we kicked off the series a while ago. We, we said that this whole series is based on a single 
crazy, audacious premise. And that is this, it's summed up in this one verse, which, let's see if I can get it working here. Come on, big screen. Nope, there's more. There. There it goes. There we go, this one right here. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. These are the words of Jesus who says, to his own people, he says, my sheep, which again, we talked about this before, is that when you look at the analogy here, there's someone is speaking, that's Jesus, and there is a voice which is communicating and we get to be the sheep. I mean, that's just our, we don't get, it's not a real flattering metaphor, but this is the image we get. We get to be sheep. And we talked about in week one, we've been carrying throughout the whole series is that there's this really, as dumb as sheep might be, as uninspiring as sheep are, there's one thing that they do well which results in another thing, which is that they can listen, which results in their ability to follow. And the whole crazy, audacious thing we've been talking about is that God does speak and that we as sheep get to listen to him and follow him. And so as we talk today, as we think about stuff on Father's Day, as we consider what it might mean, I want us to pray and we'll get into today's message just for us to consider what it might mean on Father's Day to listen and to follow. So let's pray. Father, on Father's Day, would you give us fresh ears to hear a timeless truth? Jesus, no matter our own understanding, our own relationship with our own dads, Father, would you give us the sense of what it means to hear the voice of a father today? Jesus, might we undo some of the things, might you undo some of the things that we've carried into that idea about what it means for you to be father? Might you reach us with tenderness and with love? Father, for those in the room who are in need of restoration, who have lost hope, would you restore hope? For those in the room who are feeling a great sense of joy and a great sense of wholeness, Father, might you further that, might you shower that with uh, with your own joy, that it might grow. Jesus, among all the other things that we face today, might it be clear that we need you and that you long to be with us because you love us, Jesus. In your name, amen, amen. All right, now, I just recently got back from a Super long plane flight, you know, we, me and my hair, another guy, we're in Africa, and we, um, we and I, I, don't, I don't fly a lot, but it's very interesting to me as I get on the, you know, as I start to think about flying, every time I travel, I want to like reinvent the best way to fly, like how you're supposed to do this, like what, exa- what sweatshirt do I need, and how many different Ziploc bags am I supposed to have for what things, and if they ask me to pull whatever bag out, could I do it easily instead of being like one thing at a time and being, creating a big nightmare in the security line? I wonder about, you know, how, you know, exactly what kinds of stuff I should put on my phone and what, you know, so I can listen to stuff or, you know, should I buy a book? Should I put it on my phone? Should I, you know, like what, I think about all these kinds of things. Now, as we're getting on the plane, we're getting here, everybody looks at me and starts, they, they all have an, they all start talking to me as if I've never been on a plane. Oh, you're wearing shorts? <laughs> Gets really cold on a plane. I'm like, Does it? I didn't know that. Like, I'm all, you know, I'm like, I've been on a plane before. And they're like, what else did you bring? And I'm like, well, luckily I've reinvented the way to fly. And so we have the conversation about, did you bring a blanket? Did you bring a sweatshirt? Did you bring a hoodie sweatshirt? Was there just a regular sweatshirt? Did you bring socks? Did you bring, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I, what else? I mean, I, I, yes, I did all that stuff. You know, did, you bring, did you bring Kleenex? You need Kleenex. You know, whatever else it is. Yes, I've got it all. And inevitably there comes a point when someone says, did you bring a pillow? And then the discussion sort of emerges. What kind of pillow should you bring? Like, what is the one thing? They're like, the one thing you need, because you're not experienced like we are, Jeff. 
the one thing you need on a plane is a pillow. Now, I, luckily, I have a pillow, but you know the different pillow covers. You've seen this thing. This looks like what my grandparents used to have around their toilet seat. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's real comfortable. You can just, you know, sit on that thing. And it's like maybe, and maybe that's actually a better use for this thing. I mean, if you've ever used one of these things, it's like, this is the stupidest thing. Just, oh, that's the way it's supposed to go. And I fall asleep, okay? So there's this pillow. You've all seen this. But I was like doing some research this week about other kinds of pillows. There's just insane travel pillows. Here's a couple other ones. Look at this one. <laughs> now, if you think about it, that's actually kind of practical. You know, you're like, wow, if I, had a, if I had a window seat, I could just put the super mega headband on. I could just, I just fall right. That's a pretty good idea, right? Okay. But it does raise the question about where do you put your headphones? You can't have your headphones on. Can't do it. Okay. Then it starts to get crazy. Look at some of these things right here. So there's, oops, let's see. There's this guy right here. You've seen this guy from the Sky Mall before. <laughs> now, if you, just, if you don't have a window seat, that thing's going to get stabbed by a spork, right? I mean, someone's going to have to go to the bathroom, and it's going to be like, you're, they're not going to be able to wait for you to, psh, with one second, I just got to, just one second. I know you have to, psh, psh. it just deflates a little bit further, then I'll be able to, I'm, and then they're trying to lift it up over here. There's no way. I've never seen anybody with this thing in the plane, and if I did, I would just, I would ask the, you know, the, can I get one of those little airplane wings that you, can I just, psh, I would just stab that thing right there at the very beginning, and that guy would just end up in a pile. Okay, it just gets even worse. Look at this thing. That's literally for sleeping on a plane. It's called the sleep upright. It looks like someone took a thigh master from the 80s. <laughs> doesn't it? it just <laughs> fashioned it into like a little chin holder thing, right? But I love that it even has like a back strap on it. Like there's, it's not just enough to be in front of you, but you can imagine someone busts that thing out of their, their carry-on. Just one sec. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> if you could not talk to me because I can't look from side to side, that'd be great. I mean, it's so stupid. But wait, there's more. I just saw this. This is the best. Okay, so this guy right here is my new favorite person in the world. <laughs> what? This is like, this is what you wear for Halloween. Okay, now, honestly, this is, they, there's pictures on the website. That people have these things on their, their faces are down, like on a desk, and their hands are in these holes right here. Who sleeps like that? Okay. Now, if you're a Star Wars fan, you know what I'm about to do. Because this is honestly the what this looks like right here. That's Admiral Akbar. Okay. He's in Return of the Jedi. What does he famously yell? It's a trap. It's the same thing. That's the same guy right there. That's what they used. Okay. Now. Everybody's trying to tell me as they get on this plane, there's one thing you got to have. What's the most critical thing you need? Now, I think the same thing is true in our own life. We ask ourselves all the time, what is the one most critical thing I absolutely have to have? What is the one absolutely necessary thing I cannot be without? It's the question everybody in this room asks themselves at some point. If they tried to boil their life down to one thing, what they would get to is there's something I need. What's the one thing I need? You can have a great discussion about what it is that you need. What it is in your life that you go, if I had only one thing to take with me, what would it be? What would be the one thing? Now, as we look in the Bible, there is one thing in the Bible that is so incredibly obvious that we all need, that we so often, it's so easy to miss. It's like, the, this, it's like in front of us from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through it, and it's the one thing we miss all the time. Now, 
Side note, when I tell you what this is, it does involve that single, crazy, audacious premise that's throughout this entire Listen series. So bear with me. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. We're, we'll be in Deuteronomy for a little bit, which I know, again, is a really fun book. Everybody loves to read it. Deuteronomy literally means second law. It's a second, it's a second telling of God's law for his people. But well, here's what's happening. The, the People have left Egypt. They're wandering, or God has taken his, his people out of Egypt by Moses. And they're wandering around. It's been several years. The, the, the story we're going to read is a recounting of what happened in the previous book where some people, God says, hey, here's the land you're supposed to go into. They send some folks in there. The people come back and say, this is a great idea. It looks awesome. And then, oh, two of them say, this is a good idea. And 10, and 10 other spies are like, I think this is a terrible idea. And everybody decides they don't want to trust God. And this is kind of where they are. Now, this is like 38 years later after they've walked out. It should have taken about two weeks, and now they're 38 years later. And God says, once again, I'm going to give you this land. And Moses is retelling the story of how we already had, we were going to take the land. We were going to go into this land, and you guys wussed out. That's basically what it's, uh, it's my paraphrase, right? And here's what it looks like here. I want to tell you, this is Moses. I don't think this part's on your outline, but you get the idea. But you, Moses is speaking, one willing to go up into this land. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord, the Lord hates us. Now remember, this is God who has rescued his people from 400 years of slavery. By day, they follow a pillar of cloud, which whatever that looks like. And by night, they follow a pillar of fire. I mean, it's like, and when they're hungry, food comes down from heaven. I mean, this is like, and they say, God hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. These are the spies they're talking about. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there, and we know how scary they are. Evidently, they're just really tall, okay? Now, then I said to you, this is, this is God speaking through Moses, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt because, uh, before your very eyes and in the wilderness. Now, I'm just going to show you the word the wilderness. At the very beginning of this passage, the word wilderness is described as the vast and dreadful wilderness. The voice that they're hearing, if there is a voice they're listening to, these people who are now about to take this land, the voice they've been listening to is a voice of fear. And that, that volume is turned up really high. And the voice that says, don't be afraid, I'm going to be with you, that voice has been turned down really, really low. And he says, God says, I'll, I'm going to go before you, and I'll fight for you. And in the wilderness, meaning in this vast, all of what I've done, I've already done it for you in the wilderness. And then he says this, there you saw, meaning in the vast and dreadful wilderness, how, there you saw how the Lord carried you. Now what I'm going to show you next is how God carried his people. It is the most important thing. Or at least I should say it points to the most important thing. There you saw how the Lord carried you as a father carries his son. All the way you went until you reached this place, which is on the doorstep of going into this land, this promised land. As a father carries his son. Now, basically what he's saying is, I want to remind you guys, you people. He says, I want to remind you, I'm like a father. I'm a dad. And my relationship to you, the people who are here, my people, is that I love you like a father. There's lots of images in the Bible for God, but the one that shows up the most, 
The one that you see, I mean, almost from the very get-go of the Bible is the one as a father. Here's other images you get. You get these images. Rock. Now notice how this is, it's important that God would be solid like a rock, that he would be defending us like a fortress, protecting us. These are all empowered, but they're not personal until you get even down here. So these are from least personal to most personal. A rock, fortress, a tower, a shield. It's even described as a hen brooding over his chicks, which is a female analogy, obviously. And then a shepherd, which is more intimate. But the enduring most critical image that God gives us for himself, the one with which he self-identifies more than anything else is Father. There I carried you in the vast and dreadful wilderness like a father carries his son. It's the most personal and intimate image God gives us of himself for himself, for his relationship with us. Dads, it's dads. To be led through the wilderness, everybody will need to hear the voice of the Father. Now, some of us in this room would say, and I think, hopefully this is a growing minority, but right now it's kind of a, it's a minority of people, would say, our dads were awesome. Dad, listen to me, dad was compassionate, dad was present, dad was around, dad was firm, but dad was also, he wasn't, he wasn't prone to anger and overreaction. Very few of us have that, in this, that story in this room. A lot of us would say our dads are pretty good, but they were maybe not perfect. Others of us would say our dad wasn't so good. Some of us, if you're like me, would say my dad was absent. Some of you would say that my dad was hurtful. You'd have that experience. You'd say my dad was hurtful. And no matter where you are on that spectrum, Every single person in this room and in the entire world, the one thing that they need is a father. Everyone needs a dad. We all not only need need a father, we need to be fathered. And within God himself is this, his own self-determination to be a father because dads matter. He says it this way in Jeremiah, as people are kind of wandering away from him. He says this, I myself said, this is God speaking, how gladly I would treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. God's saying the way in which I identify myself and the way I want, I want for us to have this relationship with each other is that I'm a loving father and you're my kids. And it breaks my heart, God says, is when you decide that you don't need me to be your father because that's what I want to be. Now, research will tell us everybody forms their understanding, their first understanding of who God is from their own perception of their own father. Everybody in this room, your first understanding, the one you, you get as a kid, comes from the way in which you understand your own father. So when people start talking about God, you start going, well, if my dad was absentee or I was never good enough for him or I was never going to be enough or whatever else it might be, then you, or my dad was awesome and wonderful and compassionate, whatever it is that you have with that perception is the first impression you give to God. And because so many of us have imperfect relationships with our father, we go, we need a dad, but I don't want a dad if he's like that dad. But yeah, we need a dad. Fathers matter. 
for us, and more often than not in our world, dads are kind of portrayed as the unnecessary appendage to a really capable mother. You know, when you see like a sitcom, you watch any TV show, it's like the, the dad is sort of like in the way. The only reason dad's there is to try to kill spiders in open jars. And even then, he usually, you know, is bit by the spider and breaks the jar, you know, or something like that. Or, you know, it, usually he has to hand the jar back to them. There's like, there's this kind of dads are in the way notion for the world. And yet the single, the single moms know a truth. My own mom, a single mom. Single moms know a truth, and they wish it wasn't true. There's a thing that they deal with that every single mom knows, and they wish it wasn't the truth. There's one thing that they cannot give to their children. They cannot be their kid's father. And they try, and they have to try. And it breaks their heart, but they know it. Because dads matter. Dads bestow upon girls the first picture of what it means to be a woman. It is not that mothers give their daughters femininity. It's that dads show them what it means to be a woman, show them femininity. Sons learn what it means to be masculine from their fathers. Fathers bestow identity. And and for for those of us who are raised with single moms, we wonder, what does it mean for us? I'll tell you by way of analogy. I heard this story once from another pastor, and I didn't believe it. Like, I was like, this is too, no, you're just, it's a fun story, but I don't believe you. And then I saw it on Discovery Channel, and I was like, it must be true, okay? <laughs> so I'll tell you the story. In South Africa, in Kruger National Park, they have a, an, an elephant reserve. And in the elephant reserve, there's all, they, what they realize, they're trying to restore all these elephants, <coughs> excuse me, from, they're starting to be going, go extinct, and they're trying to restore this population of elephants. And pretty soon they realize they're pretty successful. There's like a lot of elephants and they actually have to start figuring out how to transport some of them away. What they do is they realize that to transport elephants, it turns out, is a kind of a difficult thing to do. <laughs> they're sort of big, I guess, right? So they, the only harnesses that they have at the time and the only helicopters that they have that can, maneuver, can move elephants are um, only big enough to handle female elephants and young males. So they move the female elephants and they move the young males. And they put them in a new place. And right away almost, they start noticing that rhinos are being killed and other elephants are kind of dying. And they can't figure out what well, there's all, they're, they think all poachers have found it. We don't know what's happening. We thought we had a patrol. Then what they realize is the young elephants, the young male elephants are running around killing rhinos, trampling other animals just because they have some kind of rage or for sport or whatever it is. There's nothing kind of curtailing their violence and their wildness. And they, they don't know what to do. So they figure out, we've got to figure out, well, the only thing we can think to do is to put some of the big, the, this is the biggest land animal in the world. We're going to have to get a bigger harness and bigger helicopters, whatever we got to do. And we got to put some of the big bull elephants in there. So they get the big bull elephants, the, the males, and they take them and they put them in the, the new nature preserve, this new elephant preserve. And they start integrating with these herds of other of the the young males and the females and it's not long within three weeks the violence stops and what inevitably what's what's sort of happening is these elephants are teaching these bull elephants are teaching the young males how to be an elephant 
It wasn't that it was their specific fathers, so to speak, who were transported there. It was that the males of this species showed them how to be elephants because they didn't know how to do it. And so they were raising themselves, figuring out how to do it on their own. It turns out, dads of all varieties, of all shapes and sizes, really matter. For me, my own story is one, I, I, wasn't, I didn't kill a rhino when I was growing up. Though you might have thought, you could probably pull that off. No. But when I was, I, you know, I, I started being connected in the church when I was in junior high. And this is at a time in my life when my mom was like, I don't know what to do with this person who is in my house. You know, what happened to my sweet son, you know? It's like, I'm now 13. You know, whatever that means, you know? And it was other men in my life who showed me how to be a human being, who showed me how to be a guy. I'm, I am a story of being fathered in so many ways by the church. So, does the youth ministry matter? Yes. People will ask me. I get single moms all the time who email me and say, could you come talk to my son about how to, how to you know, do that? They, they're just, they're always looking for this stuff. And the answer isn't me. It's our church. It's our church. There is already this, this is already set up for this. Our church is set up to come alongside young men and women and show them what it means to be men and to be young women. So important is this. I, um, I've told you this story before if you've been around for a while. I have um, friends of ours in our, um, back where we used to live, um, you know, way back when, when I lived in Irvine. No, I lived in Michigan, but way back when, weeks ago. Um, but I have friends who are, um, they're a gay couple, and they know I'm a pastor, and they, <laughs> they, they have a, they have a, a son. And he was, this is a couple years ago, he's going into high school, and they come to me and they say, would it be okay if our son came to church? I'm like, of course it's okay. You, you know, of course you, they're like, well, you know, but you know that we're gay. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> you know, like, this, you, you've been in our house, you've hung out with my kid, I know, you know. And so they're like, is it going to be okay for him to go to church? I said, of course it will. They're, and they're like, they're not going to, you know, make him not come because of us. And I go, well, of course not. And if anybody does, you let me know. It's not what we're about. And, the, and they said, well, but, you know, is it okay? And, you know, I said, well, you know, you guys know we have a, you guys know, you know, we have a pretty orthodox biblical view of marriage, but that doesn't affect anything about whether or not you want to come to be connected to Jesus or your kids do. And so they say, because we really don't, we just, we know he needs, a, he needs a guy in his life. And we know we can't give it to him. So this is years ago, I got him connected with, in our high school ministry and got him connected to a small group. And, but there was, a, the statement is, we know that for guys, guys matter. And for girls, guys matter too. Then it's not hard to go onto any high school campus, any junior high campus, any workplace for that matter, and to go, it's not hard to figure out which of the women in this room were not cherished by their father. It's not hard to tell. Dads matter. Dads matter. In my own life, not too long ago, this is, I was repairing my car, which I don't have experience doing. And like any good father or any good man who's trying to figure out how to do stuff, who doesn't know how to ask for help, 
I, uh, I went on YouTube. <laughs> and I'm repairing a Jeep Cherokee that has a busted starter motor, which I didn't even know what that was. And so I had to like go again to diagnose the problem on the internet. Then I go underneath the car and I pull out the starter motor, which is basically, it, it's an electric motor that starts your engine essentially, more or less. I don't even know if that's what it does. But I pull it out. And I go to the heart, I go to the local, the local, you know, auto shop, and I say, hey, I need a starter motor for a 98 Jeep Cherokee. And the guy goes back, he goes, oh, okay, you know, and he goes back, comes back out, and he goes, here it is, is this what you were looking for? <laughs> and I look at it like, yeah, it looks like it'll work, I think that's probably the right thing. I've never even seen this device before, and I'm like, yeah, that'll work fine. You know, I put it, I'm like, I have no idea if this is going to work. So I'm underneath the car. I got my cell phone. I mean, you know, I don't have it up on any. The car's not up on any jacks. I'm just like, I inch myself into the, underneath the car, reverse worm style, like trying to, and I'm holding my phone, trying to watch a YouTube video and trying to unscrew this thing. And I pull out the starter motor, which I could flip to the side there. And I grab the other one, you know, like, and after a while, I kind of panic. Like I kind of, I kind of do one of the like, oh gosh, I have to get out of here. I have to, Okay. Claustrophobia, and then I have to inch myself back underneath there again, <laughs> grab everything, where's my wrench, whatever, and I'm trying to get this thing out. And I, I put the new motor in, the new starter motor in, tighten everything down, and I'm like, okay, moment of truth. So I go in to try to start my car, and it starts. And I'm like, oh, oh, and I tear off my shirt. I have changed the starter motor in a 98 Cherokee. You know, like, but kneel before me, you know, like I just, yeah. And all of this accomplishment, everything in there that's within me, I'm like, this is the greatest thing, immediately takes a sad turn. And the turn is this. Why did I have to go to YouTube to look this up? Why couldn't I have had a dad show me how to do this? When I realized what had been shaped in me in my own life was a belief of three things. One is that I'm always alone. I'm gen- no matter how many people are around me, no matter how much they tell me that I'm not alone, the belief about me is pretty much always alone. Secondly, whew, secondly, can't say secondly. Secondly, there we go. To ask for help is an admission of failure. So number one, I'm alone. Number two, to ask for help is an admission of failure. And lastly is this pervasive experience of you, Jeff, do not have whatever it takes to get whatever it needs to be done. You don't have what it takes. And somehow wrapped up in this picture of, I mean, I'm 39 years old now. My, this picture of what that looks like for me, I wonder if I'm, I wonder if I've yet to become a grown-up. And maybe that's the same for you too, that there's been, there's, as much as I've learned about how much God loves me, no matter how much I understand about God as a father, there's a part of me that goes, I'm still an unfinished product. That I'm somewhere between boy and man, and what does it mean? And all I can think is this, maybe, just Maybe. We were not intended to be a finished product who finishes themselves on their own. In other words, we weren't supposed to finish the, the work that's 
happening in us. That maybe there's a part of us that needs something outside of us, even outside of our really good dads, that fills in the blank for us in our lives. Because no matter how good our dads are, there's still something we need. That we're flying around whatever this world looks like, and we're just not quite landed yet. And maybe there isn't, that's not something we can do on our own. Maybe we weren't, we weren't intended to finish ourselves. What we want is a path to travel on. We want a guide to show us the way. And we need someone to say, don't worry, I got it. Jesus is having his, in John chapter 13, he has the last supper with his disciples. And then in John 14, he starts to explain. They start to get a little worried. He's saying stuff like, I'm going to go to the cross. And they're like, wait, 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 what? And he's been saying it his whole ministry. But then he says this to them. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Now what he's saying is Jesus is you know, about to leave his disciples and go to the cross. And he's like, I'm going to go, and I'm, then I'm going to go and continue going here. And they're like, wait a second. We don't, know where you're go- we don't know what that means. And he says, look, I'm preparing a place for you in my Father's house. The picture here often gets communicated like this. It's a ginormous house, and you're going to, like when I was a kid, the way I understood this was like, you're going to get your own pool with a water slide. There will be grilled cheeses all the time. You know, just like I just, everything I loved when I was a kid, it was like, this is what this is going to be like. And I want you to see, that's not, that's not a perfect amount, but I want you to get the picture of what's actually being described is an intimacy of dwelling next to and within the Father's house. So it's not just a picture of you're going to have your own awesome room. It's that you're going to be with the Father. Jesus says, don't worry, I'm going to get a place ready for you in my Father's house. Now, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. You guys know where I'm going. You know you have, the, you have everything you need. To which Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? The disciples are exasperated. They don't have any hope. They're wondering about what Jesus is saying to them. And then he says this line, which is the way I've always interpreted this next line. It's as if Jesus was on a hillside declaring something about the exclusivity of himself. And it is true that he's exclusive, right? I mean, it's like specific. It's inclusive but specific, so it's exclusive in that sense. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying here. Check this out. He says this. Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now, the way I always understood that is that he's holding up a banner saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, announcing it to the whole world. But he's saying it to people who are worried, who's saying, we don't know the way. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm the way. You've been looking for a way to make it through your life. You've been looking for a way to find what you're really looking for. Stop worrying. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then it kind of continues on here. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Apparently what people are looking for, among all of the things that they saw Jesus do in all of his ministry is this one thing. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. The disciples have walked with Jesus for three years. They've seen him do all these things. And the one thing they say that they want, the very end of Jesus' life and ministry, is show us the Father. Show me the Dad. 
We've seen all of it, Jesus. We just want dad. We need the father, and that will be enough. The cry of the disciples who walked with Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry, they say, can you just show us the father? Can you show us what that looks like? Because what will be enough? Dad will be enough. We need someone to look at us and say, I love you, I believe in you, and you've got what it takes. Can you show us that person, Jesus? We need that. He continues on, because dads matter. The guys who are following Jesus want something more, and they're looking at, there's only one thing I need, and it's not all the miracles Jesus, we just need a father. And Jesus says to them this incredibly complicated and beautiful, and yet still somehow simple thing. He says this, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you do not speak on my, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. The disciples say, We want a father. Can you show us the father? And what Jesus says in this really kind of intricate language, because he's about, in this next part of the passage, he's actually about to start talking about the Holy Spirit too, is he starts talking in this what's called Trinitarian language. I am in the father, the father sent me, but I am in the father and the father is in me. And he starts kind of linking a bunch of stuff together. In other words, what he's saying is what you have been looking for your whole life. The one thing that you absolutely must have, the one thing that's universal for every single person in the whole world, this longing for a father is that the father is in your midst. The father's in your midst and you didn't even know it. The whole time. We've been walking together and the Father has been with you. For so many of us in our lives, what dads, do, what dads do is that dads point us, either because they were great or because they were insufficient, they point us to the necessity of needing a father. And even the best of dads cannot do everything to make us a whole person that we would want them to do. And Jesus says, to Philip and the rest of the disciples who say, show us the Father. He says, the Father is in your midst. And the phrases we long to hear from our Father, these right here, I love you, I believe in you, and you've got what it takes. This is what Jesus says. But there's an asterisk next to this last one. I love you, I believe in you, you've got what it takes. And the one thing we're so afraid of in a world like you know, in our own world, which is where dads are kind of mostly seen as a joke. In a world where people say the father is kind of just sort of an add-on to the mom. In a world where I believe I'm mostly alone. I've come to be, I'm trying to unwind this voice in my life that I'm alone. That I don't have what it takes. There's one thing Jesus says too. 
And it is so hard for people who have to say that asking for help is an admission of failure. Maybe that's you. One more thing he says. You need me. You need me. You need a father. You need to be fathered. Everybody in here, as difficult as it might be, and as much as we all want to prove that we don't need anybody or need anything, the truth of the matter is, is that we need a father. For some of you in this room, you have wandered through the idea of walking with Jesus for a long time, and all that you know is of a kind of threatening, overbearing, guilt-ridden, or ab- whatever your own perception of your own father, that's how it starts. And we... We, we, we need a father. And Jesus says to his disciples, I'm right in your midst, and you need me. You need me. You cannot finish this product on your own. You need me to do it for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, if there is any undeniable truth, it is that we need dads. We need fathers. On Father's Day, Jesus, we acknowledge that dads matter. We can acknowledge that dads do the things and are the things that we cannot do for ourselves, that we need a father. And Jesus, as good as our dad might be, we know also that we need a father who can father us perfectly, who loves us unconditionally and will find a way to restore us. Jesus, some of us have been wounded by dad. Others of, in this, others of us in this room haven't been great dads. Some of us want to be fathers. Some of us will one day be fathers in this room. And Father, we pray that it would be your, your paternal love for us which would rewrite some of the lies we've been listening to over the course of our lives that say you're not enough, that say you cannot do it, that say you don't have what it takes, that say you are beyond love. Father, would we hear you and receive you restoring us in your great love for us? Lord, might today be a great Father's Day, not because we get to sit around and watch golf or eat fried food, Father, might it be a great Father's Day because it is a day in which we acknowledge before you the scary reality that we need you. Bring healing and bring hope and bring joy. Might today be a great day of celebration, Father. As we sing these songs, might they be to a a Father who deeply loves us and who knows us. Might we feel the intimacy of your presence among us in our midst, Father. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, for some of you, you may need to come forward and receive prayer. Our prayer team would love to pray for you. But we're going to sing. We're going to sing to the Father. And so would you stand? And let's just let's sing together and respond. As we continue to sing, we stand here this morning as a people in need. And the Father is in our midst. And as we respond, let's take this time to lean into the Father. He is here right now, waiting for us. Let's take this.
this time to hear what he has to say of us, each of us. He wants to speak to each of us this morning.
Your love never fails. It never runs out on me. It's the cry of every kid to say, would you please, can I please be loved in such a way that your love would never run out and would never fail? Only God can give us that kind of love. Only the love of a perfect father. The one who says, I carried you as a father carries his own son. You hold out your hands and receive this blessing on this Father's Day. The Father speaks to you and says, I love you. My love will never run out on you. I will go before you. I am with you. And I am not done with you yet. And you need me. Father, we receive this blessing. We acknowledge that we need you. And we understand that there is still work to be done in our life that you intend to accomplish.